for them to have the audacity to come in and be like this one shot or this these two shops in Tokyo get Michelin stars. Anyone that knows ramen in Japan was like, what the fuck? Like these, are they tripping? Like they, and again, nothing against those shops. Those shops are good shops, but it's like, why, why did you choose these shops? Is it because of the location? Is it because of- Proximity to a train a station? Yeah, because, <laughs> because like if you go to those genres for like what those shops serve, there's like 10 other places in, in Tokyo that do a similar style just as good if not better you know so it was kind of like I don't know for someone like me I mean it's like I I think I, I lost respect for Michelin honestly I lost respect for Michelin so that's 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 it that's my take <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome back to the Way Ramen Podcast. What you just heard was Abram, aka Ramen Beast's hot take on Michelin stars in the ramen industry. And joining him today, we have Brian from Ramen Adventures and Sebastian from Nama Japan TV for a roundtable of sorts on all things ramen in Japan in 2020. So I live in a ramen desert, so to speak, on a small island in Hawaii. And I always love to talk to people who are living in Japan and eating a lot of ramen. And these three guys eat more ramen than pretty much anybody that I know. So it's always great to catch up and kind of talk about what they think are the hot things going on in ramen in Japan, where they think ramen is going to be going in the future in Japan and outside of Japan. And just basically, you know, all these ramen kind of things. It's fun conversations about crappy bowls, great bowls, and things that you can only really talk about with other ramen nerds. So here is a two-hour discussion about all things ramen with Ramen Adventures, Ramen Beast, and Nama Japan TV. Enjoy. Yeah, right. Uh, let's just get into this. So can yep. you guys... Let's talk ramen. Yeah, let's talk ramen. Or first of all, let's talk about you guys. Like, how did you... Can you guys uh, maybe start off with, like, a quick introduction and how you guys would introduce yourselves if, you know, you're meeting somebody for the first time? Oh, man. Super complicated. My name's Abram. <laughs> Um, I've been living in Japan now over 16 years. I started off as just like a ramen freak, just loved ramen. And then slowly over time, it kind of developed into from like a hobby into like, I guess, work, you could say. And these days, I'm crushing ramen almost every day. And I love ramen. And yeah. That's about it. <laughs> what do you want to know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you, you, we should, everybody knows you as Ramen Beast, right? So that's. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You can call me Ramen Beast. Um, what else? Yeah. I, uh, I co own Men Shows uh, Tokyo and San Francisco, working on opening up some more Men Shows overseas with Shono right now. Um, yeah. Cool, man. Yeah. All right. Brian? Uh, yeah, I'm Brian ramen adventures and you know i started a ramen blog about 12 years ago just going around tokyo crushing bowls at the beginning and yeah i went hard into it after uh, i helped some guy with the new york times write this article i didn't help him write it i helped him sort of eat ramen in tokyo for a week and it ended up being kind of a main cover story for food and travel section. And so I got a lot of, a big push from that and then started crushing bowls seriously and, and not just enjoying it, but kind of like delving into it and learning about it. And that's it, man. I just, uh, I'm trying to crush a lot of bowls this year's, 
much less than previous years, but yeah, trying to stay abreast of what's going on in the ramen scene in Japan. Awesome, awesome. And then I'm just going to call you Nama because that's what everybody knows you. It's Sebastian. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Hey, guys. Um, Sebastian, uh, also known as Nama Japan. Um, so I've been living in Japan probably for a total of four years, but I came back after a large, yeah, large hiatus of like two and a half years. Yeah. So I've been like back here for two and a half years and I was like searching for a way to like get me out of the house because uh like I'm, I have like a regular office job, you could say, where I'm working like, yeah, they're not nine to five, but nine to six usually. And uh, yeah, you, you just need to get yourself uh, out there for some reason or the other. So I thought, why not like try this YouTube thing for a while? And like I was like toying around with different topics. And then I realized like I, I need to combine it with something that I have passion for. And that's food. Um, unfortunately for my waistline, I'm not a big, uh, workout guy, <laughs> but I ended up, uh, with ramen, um, because like looking a little bit deeper into it, I was just fascinated, like how many facets there are with it. And like, it's just very, how can I say it's like Instagrammable. And, um, the more you learn about it, uh, the more you, you, uh, how can I say, um, you feel like there's 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 so much more than meets the eye and like i wanted to like showcase that a little bit more and uh, i felt like there was not a lot of ramen content out there so i decided yeah why not uh, make my channel ramen centric and stick with that all right so i want to say a little bit of backstory for this because you guys all kind of know each other you know you guys have appeared in various things together but i know that can we talk about a little bit how brian you and abram met because we kind of talked about a little bit where there's like a magazine involved, but before this, mm -hmm. we started recording, you kind of mentioned that it was actually before that you guys kind of got together for the first time. So, yeah, well, we had a mutual friend who knew that we were both kind of these ramen nerds and he just said like, Hey, talk to this guy. Pretty simple. <laughs> I think we met up uh, a couple of times, crushed some bowls, uh, started hanging out, out in his hood and Hatagaya a little bit more and more. And, uh, especially there's this Isakaya we go to out there. Mia and yeah that was kind of the early on stuff I met I met a guy this was in probably 2010 2011 um I met a guy at this yakitori joint yeah and he was he was a writer for Japanese Playboy magazine and he wrote about like politics wrote about food and one of the things he wrote about was ramen and we were both regulars at this place and we just started talking about ramen and he was like blown away by how much information I knew. And he asked me, he was, he, first of all, he's like, he's like, this is crazy. You know more about ramen and the ramen scene in Tokyo than like most Japanese people. He's like, are there any other foreigners out here that like know this much? And honestly, Brian was the only person I knew. We had kind of like met a couple of times we'd met online because we both, I think, had like random blogs or something. And so I introduced this guy to Brian and then we went out a couple times and just talked about ramen. And then he was like, all right, that's it. I'm gonna start a weekly column about you guys reviewing ramen shops in Japan called Ramen America Jin. And that was it. Uh, we'd meet, he'd give us like a list. We knew, I mean, 
we knew about ramen, but we didn't like really know what we know now. So he'd give us a list of places to visit. And yeah, we were real we'd meet, yeah, like looking now back, like we were rookies. Um, but yeah, we'd meet like once a month at like a bar or something. And like over like two or three hours, we'd talk about our experiences, like eating ramen. And it was kind of like real. And he would just take notes and laugh. And it was like really fun for us. And then he would write the weekly column. And it was, it came out every single week for like two, three years in Playboy magazine, which is released at like every convenience store in Japan. Yep. Um, so it was like fun. And I think one of the reasons why I was successful is because we were real. And in Japan, it's like, you have to be a little careful when like talking shit and saying things negative in the media, um, more so than, I, than overseas, I think. And mm -hmm. we didn't really care because, I mean, we were kind of looked at as like these goofy foreigners that don't really know. And just like, for the most part, it was all positive. But at the same time, we'd be like, oh, like the chashu at this place tastes like cardboard or something. And like Japanese people, it was like hilarious to hear that. So yeah, it was, it was like, we learned a lot and it was super fun. So that was like kind of what kickstarted the the whole ramen thing. And I heard that you, Abram, you're dubbed with like Kansai Ben or something like you, the way that they wrote it or something like that. Yeah, he like yeah. gave us, <laughs> he gave us both like kind of like slang. So we all had our own way of talking. Yeah, I guess I had Kansai Ben, even though. You were I'm a little more ore and I was a more vocal. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Is that yeah. Playboy have any connection to the American Playboy, or is it just like coincidentally they have the same name? No, at one point it might have, but no, mm -hmm. totally yeah, like in the seventies, it had related. a minor connection. But I see, yeah. I see, I see. It's kind of like, kind of like how mm, there's probably other co companies I can think of that's similar, but very cool, very cool. And then for just for disclosure's sake, I mean, we talked about it before, but you're working with heavily with Shono now, and I think that's super cool because not a lot of people know this, but he was the first guy that I kind of stumbled on as far as like studying ramen chefs because I had this book his recipe in this book right here was the first recipe I was like I'm gonna try to oh, make nice. that and it was like the mm -hmm. first um one of the first videos I actually actually put up on my YouTube channel so I think that's super cool but how did you how did you like get to know him was it from this weekly playboy I read your interview with Jamie and was it from this okay, weekly yeah. playboy article so or? basically at the end after this article had kind of run its course and we had done it for about three years or so it was like okay what do we do next and the author the the writer of the magazine he had always kind of like proposed like what do you think about like opening a ramen shop in america and of course i know how difficult it is my brother is a chef i have friends that own bars and restaurants and i was like Oh man, like so tough, so tough. But at the same time, I know the food scene in San Francisco where I'm from. I have the support there to help me. And I know I was like, man, if we bring like a legit master who like no like the ramen sucks in California, like <laughs> we're gonna crush it. So it started out, we had a few candidates and Shona was just one of them. Um Shona was a very creative chef, and that's something that I think is very important overseas that's often overlooked is so many like ramen masters specialize in one thing and they do one thing really well shops are famous for like one type of soup and they get super famous and then it's like okay let's just like bring this guy overseas it's difficult to make that exact same soup you know so shono is a very creative chef and he was one candidate 
out of a few that we had in mind. And he was just really enthusiastic. We got along great. So we went on an initial trip to SF. Um, and that was kind of like how the seed like got planted and took us like a few years before we eventually opened. But uh, yeah, we opened in San Francisco in 2016. And our second restaurant is set to open later this year. Fingers crossed. We have uh, a restaurant set to open in New Delhi that's been completed that I actually got, I actually flew to New Delhi and was stranded at the airport. They denied me entry. Oh man. That's another story. But uh, yeah, and Shono, I helped console the project that he has in Bangkok, Thailand. So Shono has like kind of like a, a budding empire, you could say. Mm-hmm. And he's, all of his restaurants are different. No two are exactly the same which is really one of his strong points. So it's worked out well so far. Um, I count my blessings every day. It's not easy, long way to go. I feel very good about the future involving ramen, but I know it's like, dude, the restaurant business is just crazy difficult. <laughs> so, uh, but we'll see, what, we'll see what happens. Yeah, that's crazy. Are there any other like ramen chefs that are doing like that much international expansion that, that he seems to be doing? There are, but the ones that are, I would say, are kind of focused on like one, one they have like one model and maybe they have like one simple menu and they're just cranking them out. I see, um, I see. So like replicating their one style and then. And it, exactly. Because really, I'd say the most difficult thing about expanding ramen is having a chef in the kitchen that knows what he's doing and that knows ramen because there's so many small mistakes that can be made it's not as easy as just like teaching a chef who has formal chef training in like a week or two, or even like a month. Like this is like how the operation goes because there's like little subtle things that like can go wrong. And if if you haven't worked in a ramen chef shop for years, like you don't know how to fix the mistake. Like you don't even know what the mistake is. Mm -hmm. So having the personnel is I think one of the largest challenges. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, if you can dumb, if you can dumb it down the, the soup and make it a lot easier, you know, that's one way to try to overcome that. You know, we're, we're talking about how before we started recording, like why I got into it. And it was because I realized how difficult this thing is like making ramen or trying to make ramen that tastes good is because so many shops, like you said, a lot of shops in America aren't really that great yet. And so, yeah, it's crazy. It's, I think the best, and I haven't eaten a lot of ramen in America, but I think like the best ramen is in America are by like the crazy ramen geeks like Keizo and by a uh, noodle in a haystack and by, I haven't had his ramen yet, but I'm sure Mike ramen Lord, I'm sure yeah. his bowl is incredible. And it's like, because these guys care so much and they're willing to put the time in, uh-huh. but at the same time, they can only serve so many people while they're in charge. If you ask those guys to try to like expand into like multiple restaurants, they'd be like, no way like it's impossible you know yeah because to, to try to keep and i mean it's quality control is an issue with restaurants in general but especially with ramen it's like magnified so much so yeah, yeah. i mean it's good it's gonna get better for sure because the hunger like people have gotten a taste now overseas and they're hungry for good ramen like mm. the more people that come to japan and the more people have, that have real ramen they develop this like craving for it so it's inevitable that the quality is going to go up. It just, mm-hmm. you know, it's just going to take time, you know? It's, I, got, I got a question about that. So we'll save that, that later because I think that's yeah. a really interesting discussion to have with everybody. So 
Um, as far as like you guys were saying that in the when you first started, you guys were ramen noobs, and you, looking back now, you can see how much you didn't know. Like, what are you, what are you exactly or specifically are you talking about that you didn't know that you know now? And this goes for Brian and for you too. So that like, I mean, like most people, we know the basic styles, but I didn't really know that there were all these different local styles around Japan. I mean, I knew that there's miso in Sapporo, and you know, Fukuoka has tonkotsu. But I didn't know these little subtle things like Tokushima style or, or you know, Onomichi shoyu and, and all these little things that any like basic ramen nerd in Japan knows. They like they know about this, and uh, you know, we were we were learning and going to different shops. Even in Tokyo, you can really learn about everything in the country because we have representation of all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from from my side, I would say. Um, it's just the fact that whenever you look at like whatever part of ramen, um, you, you never know everything. Like, for example, just take, for example, chashu, like just the number of methods, just the number of, um, just styles and preparation methods that that are out there. I mean, you have braised ones, you have sous vide, you have just um deep fried ones you have uh, like gr- charcoal grilled ones it, th- and the more you look into those then again there's there's more styles and just um from this perspective that okay there's one dish ramen to like realizing that basically every single bowl is different from shop to shop um that's like eye opening uh, and and you have to come to this conclusion like one bowl at a time you realize, okay, there's not tonkotsu ramen. There is like so many different tonkotsu ramen out there. And even if uh, two shops say Hakata tonkotsu, for example, they will be totally different. So I think this is uh, one of my big learnings. Yeah, um, if you want me to chime in, I think just the number, the vast number of shops and styles and how deep it goes. Like, you know, I've eaten at, 135 shops this year so far so probably <laughs> probably 110 of those are first time for me wow so i have a list of just in tokyo probably like 50 shops in saitama there's probably like 20 shops in kanagawa like i have a list right now a hit list of at least 100 shops and it never it never ends like even for someone like me and i'm going almost like as hard as i can and there's Japanese guys, you know, that crush like over a thousand bowls a year. Like that's just insanity. But, you know, even like to say like, oh, like what's the best in this genre? Like when you can't eat them all, you know, like how can you even say what the best is? Like, and then you have to go back and like do repeats to like compare. Like, it's like, it's really crazy. It's really crazy. <laughs> that is, that is crazy. But it's, but it's fun, you know, cause like, the food the the quality of the food overall in japan is so high like even the average level mm. is better than most places else so i think that's why it's so much fun and like even though it's it's nuts like it's dope to be able to like eat something amazingly delicious like almost every day and have it be something new <laughs> like dude like how like it doesn't get much better than that right yeah i i, I it's kind of like unique to ramen where I mean, if you were like a burger blogger, you know, like it kind of, I, I can't imagine it getting kind of repetitive after a while, but ramen is so many different nuances and styles and the chef's personality really comes through with all these things. So yeah, to add on yeah, to that, big, 
<clears throat> the that's why the question of what's the best ramen or what is your favorite ramen place is so meaningless like there's so many out there and like what style what location mm -hmm. like what do you want like it, 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 can you really compare like a tonkotsu to like a, a seafood based ramen they're like completely different dishes so th this is like one of the questions that always drives me up the wall like it's, it doesn't make sense yeah you and me both <laughs> I'm sure, Abram too. I'm, I'm sure yeah. all three of you get the question. Hey, what's the best ramen in Tokyo? You know, oh, yeah. I'm sure all three of you get that a lot. So, for the three of you, how has ramen culture or the ramen scene or just ramen in general evolved since you first starting started eating, reviewing, working ramen? You know, like you guys have been in it for 12 years, 10 years. Like, what's changed in this time period? Uh, I think media has gotten incredibly saturated now so you know even 10 years ago we didn't really have instagram we didn't have a lot of bloggers you know people used um what was a mixy out here and it, it was really efficient really inefficient ways of kind of learning about new shops everything i learned about were from meeting ramen heads and talking about it but now i mean the amount of ramen instagrammers in japan it's I mean, there's thousands of them and we're talking people who eat ramen every day, two times a day, three times a day. So now you can really know a lot, not necessarily go to the shops, but you can know a lot about the popular shops in different areas just by you know looking at your phone for a few minutes or a few hours every day. Interesting. Abram? Yep. Um, I mean, well, I thought, was your question about the ramen itself? How is everything? Changed? I mean, like, yeah. What's changed about the ramen, and what changed about the the, the culture, or the 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 just you know what yeah, Japanese view about ramen? I think, yeah, I think when I came to Japan in two thousand four, it was you know that was when it was really getting going, and that was for the first time when like double soups were like big, like uh, aoba or menya musashi in Shinjuku, and it was like suddenly ramen had become, it got kind of elevated to this next level. And then I'd say the next trend after that was the tonkotsu gyokai craze. So shops like, you know, Rokurinsha, Ganja, Tetsu, Tomita. And for years, that was like the big thing. And that was like all the top rank shops, all the long lines were at places that held tonkotsu gyokai. And then that probably lasted until like, I don't know, 2010, 11, 12. My years could be off a little bit here. But I think then after that, we kind of got into more premium ingredients. And like there was the, you know, a lot of shoots, there's like the Tori Soba now with like 100% chicken, Chiyu, like chicken oil. But for sure, I think now more so than ever, ramen has like developed into this like premium thing where you're trying to use ingredients that no one's used before kind of like elevate it to where it's not just like you know common folk like cheap food on your lunch break anymore so i think like compared to like 15 years ago there were there were no shops that were like had all these like exquisite like ingredients like you know like salmon eggs or like hamaguri clams and you see a lot of that now duck you know so that's like, I'd say the progression that I've seen since I've been here. Really interesting. Mm -hmm. 
um as far as like trends now like what is the trend now is it still like that that clean tokyo style show you or is it like what what there's have you always, been seeing see there's a fault there's like there's a lot of people that kind of like have the old school philosophy that like ramen is like cheap food like for like blue collar workers it shouldn't cost more than like 500 yen it should have msg in it and like those are the best bowls that like haven't changed in like 50 60 years and then you know at the same time there's a way of thinking that like it, it doesn't have to be like that and it's okay if you're using like these like ducks that were like killed this morning in like Tochigi prefecture and like driven at 6am to Tokyo and this bowl costs like 1500 yen like you know for me both of them are awesome and i love both of them equally but it kind of like some people are very strong one way or another you know so but like right now i think just because <laughs> of what's gone in this on this year everyone's trying to figure out a way to do takeout and ramen has never been something that's like done takeout and it's like you see at more so than ever before like uber eat signs in front of ramen shops and you're thinking like holy moly they're doing uber eats at this yeah. ramen shop <laughs> like crazy. how are they you know or like you know even like shono is doing uh, ramen burgers now so i think right now we're seeing a lot more takeout than ever before that's like the that's the trend right now this mm -hmm. moment i'd say <laughs> Have you guys at Brian or Sebastian and noticed like anything like Japanese ramen nerds are seeking out or I mean outside of like takeout because that's kind of like this the situation we're in now but as far as like when yeah. they when they're choosing shops and things totally. what are they seeking out Well you know like Avery was saying this kind of trend towards more premium ingredients and that had I think last year was the first year where a thousand yen was like the normal price for oh. for a new for bowl of ramen at newer shops whereas in the past that was unheard of and 700 you know, yeah it's like expensive say it should never be more than 500 right so seven eight hundred in tokyo whereas now it's acceptable to be at a thousand yen and the chefs are taking advantage of that a lot of these newer sort of hot chefs are kind of younger guys more creative they haven't been working in the same ramen shop for 50 years so they like doing limited bowls gentes mm -hmm. and for them to be able to up the price and use more premium ingredients maybe get some uh some tech to help cook the meat in a different way yeah they're all over it and they really embrace that yeah homemade noodles too you i see that more and more mm -hmm. it's like it's it's more cool now than it used to be to have mm -hmm. house made noodles especially yeah. like if shops want to get in like the michelin guide or whatever It's just like, even though, like sometimes noodles that are like ordered are just as delicious. Just like the having to like being able to say that like the noodles are house made, I think people take that into credit more so than they did in the past. Interesting. I don't know. What do you What do you guys? I'm curious. What do you think, Brian Nama? Would you agree with me uh, on that? Yeah, Nama. What do you think? Yes. Oh, I, I like to give Nama some credit right now because he's wearing a ramen shirt and he's like, he took the time to try to dress up for this interview. <laughs> But go ahead. Go ahead, Nama. I'm like, working what, in what home I can dress whatever way I like. <laughs> I mean, uh, all the observations are, are true and I, I fully agree what the others said. Um, I want to make a prediction and uh, it's something that I've been seeing uh, in the last one or two years a little bit. And I think it's coming more even with the takeout. 
um, is that soupless ramen is going to take off. Um, like maze soba, abuda soba, you can see it. And I think almost every, like not every store, but like a lot of stores have added maze soba to their menu and uh, or doing like a gente for like lunch or something like that. And when you walk around and you see the, the shops uh, doing takeout, a lot of them do maze soba. And uh, I think that's a good way to go around the, you know, uh, soggy noodle issue that you usually have with takeout uh, ramen. So that's uh, one thing. And then the other thing about like homemade or like uh, in-store made noodles, uh, definitely. I think there's a couple of, uh, in my book, legendary stores that do, um, yeah, the noodles in-store, some of them like to order, like from flour to noodle uh, right in front of your eyes. Crazy. Um, yeah, Ridiculous. I mean, you have to you have to try that. Uh, I think the store is quite famous for Chichisai, and then there's like a lot of offshoots of that um, master shop where they do this kind of style. It, it's crazy to see, and if you talk to people, like you would think that you know noodles have to age and you need to prepare them in advance and so on. But the, here's this guy like making them right in front of you, and they're amazing. <laughs> like it's fantastic. Um, yeah, Chichisai is legit. Yeah, it's great, right? Yeah, there's there's some other shops that do that too, but Chichisai for sure is probably the most famous. Yeah. So we kind of mentioned it a little bit, the Michelin stars, and I, I was kind of curious, <laughs> what do you guys see in that, like as far as the impact it's had on the industry? Because I think prior to, you know, the first ones like Tsuta and Nakiryu and things like that, like, it's probably changed what a lot of these younger ramen chefs are shooting for now, right? Like, what well, I can get a Michelin star doing ramen now? Like, how yeah. has that changed the the scene? I'll, and I'll tell you, <laughs> Michelin is bullshit, <laughs> but the impact it's had on the ramen industry is awesome and super positive. Mm. Um, and I'd say for sure it's brought out more people that you know to become interested in the ramen scene. And you see a lot more foreigners lining up for shops now than you did before any ramen shops got Michelin stars. So I think, yeah, overall, it's a good thing. But, you know, Michelin to me, I don't and I don't want to I don't want to bash on Michelin too much. But, you know, their bread and butter was fine dining. And I was always under the impression that it was all these other components of the restaurant, not just the food. It was like the service and the decor. And suddenly when they crossed that line and started reviewing like street food and like hawker stalls and ramen, for them to have the audacity to come in and be like this one shop or this these two shops in Tokyo get Michelin stars. Anyone that knows ramen in Japan was like, what the fuck? Like these, are they tripping? Like they and again nothing against those shops those shops are good shops but it's like why why did you choose these shops is it because of the location is it because of proximity to a train reason? station yeah because <laughs> because like if you go to those genres for like what those shops serve there's like 10 other places in in tokyo that do a similar style just as good if not better you know so it was kind of like I don't know. For someone like me, I mean, it's like I I think I I lost respect for Michelin. Honestly, I lost respect for Michelin. So 
that's 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 it that's my take <laughs> i think it was around the time that you know michelin for what since the 50s or something was this yeah they guarded the gourmet cuisine of the world well now you got world's 50 best you got like opinionated on dining you got all these high-end food sort of groups and people recommending shops and submissions kind of I think it was just a business move, like to sell more copies and get more relevance. And yeah, a lot of the ramen nerds in Japan, especially the Japanese guys, they look at the list and then they look at sort of their lists and there's no correlation. They're like, all right, whatever. So as for the restaurant owners though, I don't know, it might be a different story because a lot of them, I mean, it's obviously a massive business opportunity if you're in there with a star some you're really care and some don't care so much but yeah but some see that and they like they want it you know and they'll try to change to get it and some have and it's worked you know interesting <laughs> so yeah i'll say yeah. though the that their bib gourmand list has a lot of very good stores like if you just take the list of the bib gourmand recommendations it's not like you will find the same list in every top 50 or top 30 list or whatever um, you're going to search for. But um, they have like a heavy bias on like these clean shoyu, shio ramen. And every store is good. Like you will not be disappointed if you go to one of those stores. Now are those the, I don't know what, how many they have now, 25 or 30? Are those the best 25 or 30 stores in Tokyo or in Japan? I mean, you can have that opinion, but like there would be a lot of people who disagree. But you're, you're it's right. Still a good recommendation list, to be honest, right? Yeah. If Just you know not nothing about like ramen <laughs> and you come to Japan and you use that list, you're going to have an awesome yeah, time for sure. That's true. For that's sure. True. Absolutely. There's true. no denying that. Yeah. You're waiting a lot of lines with a lot of tourists, but that's true. <laughs> <laughs> although, although, I mean, I've been to quite a lot of them. And I would say only one third of them have like a, a line out. Like some of them are just, you know, your regular old neighborhood store. It's it exactly. That, that's why it's so goods. weird though, yeah. because you it's, look at yeah, the it's list a weird selection. and you're always like, what? Like, why did they choose this shot? Like what? Like so random. So yeah. random. <laughs> Yeah, so oh, that's really, that's really interesting. Cause like, like you guys said, like there's so many shops, especially in Tokyo, you know, it's so dense as far as how many shops, like how do you, it's probably imp impossible for them to have eaten at every single shop, right? And then oh, chose, chosen the best. So it's like, impossible. it's almost like an arbitrary thing. Like they'll go like, oh, this is good. I'm going to just put on the list here. That's really interesting. Yeah. So how do you guys, how do you guys personally go about sort um finding shops and deciding on shops to go to? Are you just spraying, praying, spraying and praying kind yeah. of thing technique? Or are you guys getting like recommendations from people to try out shops? And like, how are you guys choosing recommendations? recommendations. Yeah. So you know, I follow all these people on Instagram and so I'll get just from that alone, mm -hmm. just spending, you know, I try to limit my time now, but spending like 10 <laughs> minutes on Instagram, I'll see 10 shops I've never been to that look incredible. So now I'm interested. And then word of mouth, you know, when we do hang out, a bunch of ramen nerds together, we talk a little bit about ramen. Yeah, I think it's a combination of online ratings, magazines, um, word of mouth, Instagram, and what you see people posting. And just like asking locals too, when you go to, when you go to like, you know, rural areas, like out in the countryside, 
but I don't know. I, like I said earlier, I just, for, you know, every time you get a wreck, whether you see a place and it's highly ranked or it's like you hear something or you see it in a magazine, I'll add it to a list, like my list, you know, like I have a Tokyo list, I have an Osaka list, I have a Kyoto list, you know, I have all these lists and I'm telling you, the lists never end. They never end ever, ever, no matter how hard, how hard I try, you know? So, I mean, it's fun. It's fun as hell, but yeah. And it's, it's probably hard to keep up because I heard that nine out of 10 shut down within a certain amount of time too. And then people, people come in to replace them and they move. And new shops else. open all the time. Yeah. New I mean, shops, yeah. Open yeah. shops open in Tokyo every month. So literally can't even do it. It's pretty yeah. oversaturated right now, but yeah, there's like, I'd say they say at least 300 open just in Tokyo every year and That's around crazy. the same number close, but like, it's, you know, it's hard to keep track and the same, you know, like, how do you define Tokyo? Is it the Kanto area? Like there's all, you can get into all these side conversations, but yeah, there's about 30,000 total in Japan and around 10,000 in the Kanto area. And I think it's a, it's like reach of it's reached the point where I don't think it can get much more. So there's new shops opening and closing all the time. And it's just this cycle. <laughs> Has there any ever been like a shop that you go to and like, wow, that was really good. And then it shuts down and like, wow, man, why did it shut oh, down? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. All yeah, the yeah. time, all the time. It sucks. Mm -hmm. oh, Brian, man. you remember that one we went in Shinjuku with the, what was it? The oyster shoyu and they had the, uh, yeah. Uh, Tori Python, uh, Madai Python. Yeah, yeah, it was the uh, shut down the creamy like fish that one. Yeah, yeah, it lasted. They, it was they open shut for down like two like months. 12. No, 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 a little bit less than a year. Half a year, maybe. Ramen, I don't know. Japanese ramen geeks were loving that spot, and that was fantastic. To be all over. I mean, and that's just the restaurant business, though. So that happens everywhere, <laughs> you know. But his problem was the location. Uh, like he. He had like a bowl, like if he had the the store in like any other location, literally, he could have charged like thousand, hundred, thousand, two hundred yen per bowl. But he was charging like I don't know nine hundred for like a, a bowl, like imagine like oyster broth, and then like two types of sous vide chashu on top, like an immense amount of work and and top notch ingredients. And then he charges nine hundred yen because you cannot charge more in Shinjuku. And even then, people would not come because it was too expensive and there's too much competition around. So it was like just a location, 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 you know, and for him, it didn't work out. Yeah, that's great. I, I, like what you said to Ibram, I, I'm pretty sure that's not unique necessarily to ramen, just restaurants in general probably suffer the same kind of fate a lot of times too, like really great places. But yeah, I think that's crazy. I think maybe maybe like is international expansion, like what the people, a lot of these Japanese chefs planning, planning to do. I had a ramen chef from japan he moved to um was it singapore i think it was singapore and he was he had a shop there because maybe that's what he was trying to do like you know so cut like competition is so fierce in japan maybe go to like other areas that's a little bit less maybe i think singapore. a lot of them would like to i think it's a pipe dream for a lot of them mm -hmm. um but very few actually have the balls to like do it and step outside their comfort zone because for someone that doesn't speak english to go to like a new country and open a restaurant period is a challenge to begin with. And now you're talking about ramen where all the ingredients <laughs> are like new to you and the kitchen is new. Like even, you know, like little small details about the kitchen are things that you're not familiar with. So unless the situation is like Kush and, and at the same time, remember 
almost all these guys want to go back to Japan. They don't want to mm. stay don't want overseas to live, yeah. permanently. Yeah, most, you know, for the most part. So it's it's not easy, you know, to do. So I think, you know, I you get asked quite often in Japan, like, oh, like how what do you think about opening ramen overseas, like by shop masters? Mm -hmm. So I can see like kind of like in the back of their mind, they're like, oh yeah, like that would be nice to do. But like at the end of the day, like there's no way they're you know, 99.9% .9 of them are ever going to do it. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, so you, we kind of talked about it. There's no best ramen in Japan or it's very, <laughs> there's so many shops and stuff. If, if someone like me were to come to Japan, which shop would each of you bring me to? Like, like, you know, like someone's like, okay, you can bring me to one shop. Which shop would it be? I would ask you where you're, where you're staying and okay. like, what, what kind of ramen do you like, you know? And then I would give you some options. And I'd say mm -hmm. like, this is the overall best shop in your area. Or like, these are the two best shops in their area. Or if now, if you want to travel and like, if you don't mind taking like a two hour train ride or like making a trip, I can take you to like one of the best of the best in a specific genre if you want, you know? But at the same time, if it's your first time in Japan and like, you don't have a lot of experience eating ramen Japan, everything is going to be awesome to you. So like you can go to Ichidan and it'll be dope. You know what I mean? Like everyone should go to Ichidan and Ippudo and all those shops that like, I love to talk shit about. You should go to them once in Japan, but then expand your horizons and explore other stuff, you know, find the styles that you like and then make more of an effort to explore those styles. Mm-hmm. So, but like just the level is, is on, it's, it's so high here, like for your first time, like just explore. And I would say, I would say, try to eat a bunch of different styles so you can kind of start to learn like, oh, I like this more than that. And, you know, that's my advice. Okay. But if there was, <laughs> you, if want there to, was, you want us to pick one shot yeah well yeah. it's just for like people listening you know like that's a question that i got a ton of right from all right from, you guys go first so just like if if, if you just uh, want yeah. to like first. give brian uh, i want to hear what brian says brian <laughs> give like first. a um like, sure, okay sure. someone who doesn't really know much much about ramen but you give them like okay this is if you want to know what badass ramen is this is where i'm going to bring you and then you're going to eat this because brian you do a lot of these tours right like personal tours sure. and things so what shops are you bringing people to well, you, you know, I'm, I'm not going to give the straight answer either, but okay, okay. <laughs> the idea find something that people recommend near your hotel, find a couple. Cause here's what, here's what happens. This is what happens with people that I meet and they come out here. I say, Oh, you're staying, you know, in Kanda. Well, go to this spicy miso place. It's real good. Just check it out. And then what ends up happening is they're out, they're traveling around Tokyo. They're going to go back to their hotel. And they're like, yo, let's get that ramen again. And they'll go to the same place again and again. And they'll have this experience of like having a favorite ramen shop in Japan. And, and that's all because it's convenient for them. You know, so that's, if you're not like a hardcore ramen nerd, definitely approach it from that angle. However, if you're hardcore and you don't mind spending half a day in search of ramen, then, uh, yeah, go to somewhere uh, about an hour, hour and a half from Tokyo, and that's going to be a pretty good experience. 
Okay, now what about okay. you? You're gonna get the same answer. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm gonna give you a straight answer with okay. some background. So I would like to ruin tonkotsu ramen for everyone who visits uh, Tokyo, um, because when they try this and they go back to wherever they're from, uh, they'll never be able to eat uh, tonkotsu ramen at their places again. So my recommendation would be a place called Tanaka Shoten. It's a little bit out, uh, I think, from Akihabara. Like, where most tourists go there. It's probably, you can reach it in, like, half an hour. Uh, you have yeah, to take the Kuba Express deep. to, yeah, exactly, to Rokucho. And from there, you have to walk, I don't know, like, 20, 25 minutes or something like that. And uh, it's a rather big store, and they serve amazing tonkotsu ramen. I mean, like, Hakata style or Nagahama uh, tonkotsu. And it's just, it's the creamiest tonkotsu I ever had in, in Tokyo, at least. And it's just, they, they just have like one bowl. Like you can't really uh, order anything else. It's just like, uh, do you want more or less scallions or negi on top or more or less chashi? And that's it. That's about the variety you get. And uh, yeah, that, that's, a, that's my personal recommendation because I, I know everyone abroad loves tonkotsu. And I think most people start their like ramen journey and love for ramen with uh, with tonkotsu so why not this one and then i think that blows your mind and then you go back and you're like what is this shit that they're serving here in america or wherever uh, <laughs> you'll never enjoy your overseas tonkotsu <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome uh, all right so that was so that was for the the people listening that i got like those questions but for me like i personally like like clean shoyu chintan and so if, if if i was in japan and travel was an issue i could go anywhere which one which would be a shop that you might want to send me to like for a clean want, style clean show clean a clean show you like yeah like a like a you want, like you want like best, trek. best of the best make, make like the best of the best yeah like I'll, I'll, I'll travel eat a shoten eat a shoten that's where you should it's, go it's for clean refined style that one is remarkable very cool it's a, I actually but have a book uh, you got to plan for the lines you got to it's not you can't just roll up there it's a, it's a whole thing it's a whole thing like you have to make a day out of it or two <laughs> two days of waiting nice i think i have a i think it's in one of these books i have too yeah. so that's really cool but <clears throat> but eat some regular show you first before you yeah. go there i no, just feel like, like i'll feel like you'll appreciate it more it's you know, it makes no sense to come to Japan and go straight to like Sushi Saito or like if you don't have Kaiten Sushi first, you know, like you need to eat like a variety before you go for the best of the best. You got to like calibrate. I, re I really believe that. I really believe that. If you learn how to drive a, like on a Ferrari when you're 16 years old, mm -hmm. like you'll never appreciate like go going to like a Honda Accord after that, you know, For like sure. so that's Abram I, know, from experience. That's I think <laughs> <laughs> Abram grew up in a Ferrari. Oh man, cool, cool. So I'll, I'll next time I go to Japan, I'll try a bunch of stuff and then I'll top it off maybe with Ida Shoten. When you come to Japan, I will give you a list of a variety of shops that are like all different genres, so you can just get like a good range. Cool. You know, and I think that's like I think that's a good way to tackle it. Mm -hmm. All in all, in good locations because. I don't think it makes much sense to go, and this is my personal opinion, like Tomita is awesome, but if you're coming to Japan for the first time, I don't think it makes much sense to go wait like hours and hours to go eat at Tomita. <laughs> you can try a bowl that's like almost on the same level 
for a fraction of the amount of time, you know? And then once you've had that style and you're like, yo, I love Tonkotsu, rich, like Tonkotsu Gyokai Skamen is my jam. Then you can go wait for Tomita <laughs> and you might enjoy it and you might think it's incredible. But, you know, there's just so many, like, there's so many good options that are high level that are accessible. Like, I think, yeah. <laughs> That's cool, man. That's like, that's cool. That's a cool way to think about it. Like it's the ROI of waiting, you know, <laughs> like what's the, what's the return on your weight, return on ROW, return on wait time. One yep. thing I want to say is if you're asking for recommendations from people like us, and this goes for any kind of food, mm-hmm. be specific. Cause I get the email all the time. What's the, what are the top three ramen shops? <laughs> yeah. I got those questions. I, I'm, I'm, I skipped them like, on purpose. I don't, I don't know you. Like, I don't know what you're going to like. If you narrow it down, give me a little something to go on. I love answering that kind of question. I really, you know, I'll research an itinerary for you. Like, it's not a problem. I enjoy it. But if you just hit me with what are the, you know, your top five, that's, uh, you know, I don't want to waste my time. Yeah, right. You're going to give them and they're like, oh, that place sucked. I don't know why Brian recommended that because it's not even something that they were interested in trying. So. I think if you want a good recommendation, uh, provide style and location. I think those are the two main points and then usually in the vicinity any one of us can give you a recommendation or we quickly look something up when there's there's enough resources and uh, i think that's that's important if people uh, want to ask us yeah that uh, are the essentials okay cool. oh very cool very cool yep. how do you who do you guys see as like personally the the legendary shops in japan i'm, I'm kind of curious about this because everybody like Ida shoten like i've talked to a bunch of chefs in America or some of the, not a bunch, a few, and they, they've all said that shop as well. And so I'm kind of curious who you guys consider like the legends right now. What do you mean by legend? Like, just yeah, like, you know, like, like a legendary. Legend so judgmental, right? Like doesn't. Well, it's just like your personal opinion, on. right? Like who you yeah. think like, man, this is like, this is kind of like, as, as far as like, um, like an icon of a, of a style, you know, something like that, like for, it just uh, it just in general, I guess. Like if you can think of anybody off the top of your head. Well, you know, something so I, like a Fukushima yeah. Taishoken is an example of this really old school sort of Tokyo style place that really influenced the course of ramen. Um, it's not for everybody. It's a massive bowl. It's extremely hot. Uh, the volume of noodles is huge. So And because it's so hot, they get soggy if you're not burning your mouth. I mean, it has a tendency, uh, it has a reputation for people burning their mouth on the first time there. So, you know, it's hard to recommend it, but definitely like legend in the ramen scene. But that's, let's make something clear. That is like for sure a legend shop, but like you ask anyone like who, who's the master there or like who started that shop? Nobody knows. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so there are, I mean, there are a lot of shops that are for sure have reached legend status and like you name the shop and like people know like, oh, it's a legend shop. And then on the other side, there's certain masters that have kind of reached a legendary status where either they've become, you know, they've reached a level of fame in the media or whatnot. So it's it's a little bit of a crossover. And of course, sometimes they're both like both the shop and the master is equally legendary and sometimes it's one more than the other you know so yeah like, like i was like i was thinking about like like sano san you know yeah yamagishi san you know like these kind of like 
Japanese people all know these, you know, Sano and Yamagishi and there's definitely like the the I don't know if you want to call it like the Mount Rushmore of like mm-hmm. legendary, yeah, Japanese ramen chefs, but like Sano-san's on there. Yeah, Shimazaki-san is on there. Um, like probably you could say Tomita is on there now. Yamagishi's on there, yeah. But again, it's like judgmental, you know? Like for example, one super, super legendary place in a lot of ramen, minds, uh, ramen heads' minds is Jiro. And Jiro has like this cult following, like 40, 50 shops, all of them have lines, but like nobody really, they've always turned down media. They're never in like magazines or anything. It's like kind of like, it's almost like this cult following you could say. And that is like a legend, but some people, some people that love ramen hate Jiro. Like, you know, a lot of ramen heads like can't, can't handle zero at all. And a lot of actually them actually got it, a question so. about that. Like, why do, why do uh, some ramen nerds just shit on Jiro style? <laughs> I got a, someone, someone asked. Have you had it before? It's, no, uh, see, I've never personally had it, but they're, they have had it and they're asking, but they, I think they like it. It's very divisive. It's very yeah. divisive. I think some people don't like ramen where you can't drink all the soup. Mm-hmm. And this just, co- just comes down to personal preference, but like, there's a lot of people that want to finish all of the soup. And then oh, you- there are certain styles where you're not really supposed to. And Jiro is one of those styles where like you take a couple of sips of the soup, but like it's salty, it's fatty, it's like obnoxious. There are not many people that are drinking that down to the last drop. So <laughs> I think that, I don't know, in some way, maybe some people it's like a little bit too much. Like what's the point of serving me food if like I'm not even really supposed to eat it all, like I don't know, it's a little over the top. So yeah, it's it's tricky. Like I get it. Like if you don't like Jiro at all, and you and you love ramen, and you never want to touch a bowl of Jiro, like I have no problem with that at all. I get it. I, I think you can finish the soup if you really hate yourself, <laughs> because you definitely will after you're done with a whole regular bowl. I mean. They have like small bowls or they call it small bowls. And that's already way more than you would get at, at the regular store. And if you go for the bigger bowls with like more chashu and you finish the soup, man, <laughs> it's the near death experience. Mm, I, mean, I think you're going to eat yourself so much. I had Ivan working on uh, just recently and he kind of said that he tried Jiro for the first time the last time he was there and he didn't eat anything for two days after or something. It's it probably exagger- right. ex- yeah. exaggerating, but yeah. No, 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 rough. no. <laughs> no, no, no. It, I mean, it's 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 a huge amount of fat and salt and just volume wise. And uh, I think the, the the fat is the thing that that just pushes it over the edge. Because if you if you let your your broth sit like at the end, you really see like almost like an inch layer of fat that just accumulates at the top of your bowl. And it's not exaggerated. That's really what happens. And there's just a shit ton of fat in that one. And you can order seabura like back fat on top of the whole thing and it's just it's ridiculous it's some monstrosity but it's delicious i mean once a month i'll crush that once a month Jeez. <laughs> are there are there any shops that you guys are looking at now like man this this guy is gonna be like on that mount rushmore in the future i don't know you don't i it's this is a difficult question but i'd say you don't really look at the ramen shop chefs in this light in japan like oh this is like some up-and-coming like chef 
like let's see is he gonna like make like the james beard award list like you know uh-huh. it's there's so many like there's we're talking like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shops in all locations so like over time the cream rises to the top and like yeah of, of course like some chefs that have good pedigree that maybe like trained at a famous shop they'll like instantly have the attention of like the ramen heads but i don't know like i don't know and like brian feel free to nama feel free to jump in here but like i just don't have this sense that there's like an aura of like up and coming ramen chefs that i don't know like are like everyone's like following like is this guy going to become a legend or you know it just kind of i don't know it just kind of happens people expand like suddenly like a place has a strong presence overseas or whatnot it's like yeah, yeah it's, it's very a, yeah the big concept overseas you know you go to these branches of a lot of japanese shops and the first thing you see when you come in the giant mural of the chef from that shop like shaking noodles and there's a big <laughs> biography of him whereas in japan like all right people know who he is but people aren't worshiping him and it's not people aren't following them as individuals the same way that i think especially in america people look at these these chefs of uh, it's not about the food it's about the chef and and who are the hot chefs and which awards are going to these chefs and it's about the people which uh it's cool it makes it easy to sort of follow a trajectory but in japan uh, as far as ramen shops not not as big as other kinds of cooking interesting that's kind of like a difference between the american media and the japanese media maybe because i know there's like ramen walker tv and there's magazines and things like that but yeah but the ramen walker tv is focuses on the shops and mm-hmm. doesn't focus on the chefs necessarily. The shops a little bit that's but just something that's something about japan too like a lot of, sh- of japanese people don't want their photo in the media taking like a photo of someone is kind of a sensitive issue in Japan more so than other countries. And it's not uncommon for like the master not to want his photo like anywhere. So you just see that. You got NHK Sorry. ringing your doorbell. I've got, yeah, I've got a, <laughs> I've got a package I gotta go get. <laughs> they, get they, want your, they want your monthly donation to keep yep, their subscription right. to NHK going. <laughs> but um, just to add what, what Abram said is uh, I think they're just not very good with their media presence. I mean, if you look up most of the RAM stores, uh, even the big ones, they have horrible websites, horrible web presences. Um, there's like no real way to contact them. They don't have a telephone. They're like, they don't answer their emails. They might have a Twitter to announce like the, the off days when they are uh not opening or when they run out of soup or something like that but they're terrible with like any kind of communication um because you know why do you need that people just go there and eat some ramen and then that's that's all they need so they they really save on that front and then all the the stuff beyond that is basically done by magazines and like um yeah, like stuff like Ramen Walker and then people like Susuru TV or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not really, yeah, they're, they're a strong suit. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was on a Shimazaki-san binge the other day and I was like, his website is just like a blog and he has like 
like, Japanese close, internet, Japanese yeah, like, websites are, are is like, man, this work is, of art. You know, this guy is like a legend and this is his website. And all it basically was like a blog and closed today because of coronavirus or please wear a mask <laughs> when you come to the shop or man. That's, that yeah, seems like a big difference between the West and the don't care about media in the same way that, wow. you know, a lot of other people do. That's really interesting because like, you think about the success of like Ivan Orkin in America and it, it, a lot of it is probably driven by media, you know, like media presence. He's everywhere as far as like he's in Late Night with Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon. I, and Ivan is, will be the first person to tell you. He'll be like, I'm not like a ramen expert, you know, like he, to his credit, like, he kind of opened the floodgates or opened the door to so many foreigners to get involved in the ramen scene. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, he took his talents back to New York, you know, like, um, so, but yeah, I mean, sorry. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah. That's, um, that's really interesting. Cause I, I remember like just thinking about, you know, David Chang had like his little series on PBS where he went to all these shops in Japan and he was talking about these people like, oh, it's, uh, you know, like Yamakishi's like a legend and he brought him to like Ivan's shop. And, but that's not really not a concept that Japanese people adhere to at all. It's more just like Japanese ramen masters for the most part are shokunins, you know, mm -hmm. they're, they are perfecting their craft, you know? So it's like, they don't care about like media coverage. It's not about like getting my name out there. It's about like doing that one thing and doing it well to the best of my ability. And that's like the beauty of Japan in a lot of yeah. ways, not just only in ramen, but in everything. Yeah, I love that shokunin culture of Japan. That's like one of the really things that I really adore about Japan. People can yeah. get someone just making umbrellas for their whole life, you know? I think so, yeah. it's also so, a little bit different uh, when you compare it to America. Uh, like for example, in America, you wanna open a restaurant, you need the publicity so mm -hmm, people come. Mm -hmm. But here, I would say you can open a ramen restaurant and people will come just to try <laughs> what you're offering just because you're new, right? And uh -huh. you got this one shot. And like, it's really easy to have a ramen shop for the first six months. As, at least that's what I heard. But then it's like, okay, this is the first rush of people. Now it's over. Either they come back or not, mm. right? So, but you don't need like a lot of publicity to do that. It's like, okay, you can open a shop. If you have a great bowl, people will come and they will come again. If not, you'll close after nine or 12 months. That's it. Interesting. All right. So who do you guys think, this is just like a question that I have, like, who do you guys think, and we kind of, you know, Abram talked about a little bit, he's getting into it, but who do you guys think are the people that are making the best ramen outside of Japan? It's tough because I can't travel to you know, I can't travel that fast. <laughs> well, as far as like things that you've had, you know, like I've only been to New York. Uh -huh. I've actually only really had good ramen in New York and like one place in San Francisco years ago. Uh -huh. so all this stuff in the middle that's going on that, you know, I'm definitely interested in, but you know, when am I going to get to Charlotte to try? Uh, is it Charlotte ramen otaku? Oh, she's in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville, you're right. Okay. Yeah. See, I don't even know my geography. How am I going to even get there? She's, she's actually the, the, the podcast right before this one. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. Cool, man. Sarah's, uh, Sarah's dope. Yeah. But it's like how I can't, I feel like I can't give an answer at all. You know, if you ask me what's the best ramen in Yamagata, I'm not going to answer you because I've only been to like four or five shops in Yamagata. Yeah, so I'm not even, I'm not qualified at all to say something like that. 
You guys are. I mean, yeah, I've good ramen in New York, but that's the only place I've had it in America. So okay, it's fair, fair. Yeah, for nobody me, else, I only nobody had, else wants to to, to chime in. Uh, I only had terrible ramen abroad so far. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I just wanted Can't to ask that question because you guys have eaten so much good ramen in Japan. Like if, like if you found anything outside of Japan that compares to that, and I know Abram's working with with Shonosan, so I'm sure he'll Sorry. say Shonosan's in San Francisco is good and things. But no, I mean, I'll be honest. Like our ramen at Mencho in San Francisco, I think. Is it good ramen compared to what's available in America? Hell yeah, it's some of the best. Would it compare to ramen in Japan? Yeah, for sure. But if you compare it to Shono's restaurants in Japan, way better in Japan, way better. You know, there's so many improvements that can be made. And that just goes down to just like the whole infrastructure and just how things are set up to make ramen overseas. But it's not easy. Making ramen to begin with is not easy. And then doing it overseas right now, it's like a lot of the ingredients that you use are difficult to find, you know? So it's a, it's a, it's a real challenge. That's why what I said before is like, I think the best bowls you can have overseas are the guys that are like are the real crazy ramen heads that are doing it like in small batches for like, you know, private events or like come over to my house and let me make you something once you get to like trying to like open a restaurant, not saying there aren't good ramen shops out there. Cause I know there are, I've seen photos of like where it looks good, but it's like, it's a challenge. It's a real challenge. So I, I think for us three, like, because we live in Japan, like when I'm overseas, like I don't want to eat ramen. Like that's the <laughs> last thing I want to eat. Like yeah. I really want to eat other stuff. So I'll do it for work and I'll do it when like, you know, when the situation calls for it, but I'm not, even like a good bowl of ramen in America is a shitty bowl of ramen in Japan. Still, still, in my opinion. So that's changing. The gap is getting smaller, but like, you know, I still, I mean, I still tell people half of the ramen being served overseas isn't ramen. It's just, they're calling, it's like on, it's ramen on the menu, but it's not real ramen. Like, mm-hmm. you know, so. Yeah, it's really hard to get the, like just quality ingredients that you can get in Japan. Like these shops in Japan can get, these source ingredients that are really high quality, like niboshi. Niboshi is like incredibly hard to get in America. Like you have to jump through all these hoops to import fish, like because of, I don't know, some kind of like food safety regulations. It's it's next level. There's there's niboshi and there's all these other kinds of like dried yeah, fish, yeah. like so, soda bushi, mm-hmm. you know, of course, you know, like katsu bushi. Saba bushi like, and like all these things. Yeah. So, yeah, there's so many. And from all different areas, you know, it's like, you have a range of of dried fish. You have a range of shoyus that you want to use, like hundreds of options, hundreds. If you want to get soy sauce, you know, in Kansas, like how how many types of soy sauce can you get? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, how many types of niboshi can you get? So those are things that I think it's what has been keeping, you know, the, I, I could say, you know, it's taken this much time for ramen to get better. But it's also part of it is learning process of like figuring out how to use what's good in Kansas to make like dope ramen in Kansas. And I think part of that is like just it's time like people need to like learn the basics of ramen and then learn how to use the ingredients that they know. So it's like it's getting there. It's just like it's just got to take more time, you know. That's kind of been my kick recently of trying to like just 
change the way people think about making ramen where, you know, like I talked, I have, I've had like a few Japanese ramen chefs on this podcast and they've all said the same thing. Like I'd rather eat ramen made overseas with overseas ingredients done thoughtfully and, you know, done with like a very like careful touch and stuff. And it's like trying to get people to make the switch and like, Hey, let's try to make great ramen with whatever we can get locally. Cause the ingredients you can get locally are going to be better than anything. Like, you know, like the Korean niboshi you can import in, like you probably could find better chickens locally than trying to, you know, get a hold of like this Chinese kombu or whatever you can kind of muster up in the Midwest and things. So that's kind of what I was thinking too, like as far as what the future of America of ramen outside of Japan is. But I was kind of curious, that was my next question. Like, what do you guys see? Like, where do you guys see ramen going outside of Japan? Is it going to be these chefs that are going to get, like create these flavors that are really common in Japan? Or is it, do you see it being like, even in Germany too, right, Sebastian? Like, or do right. you see it like going to these regional ramens basically like outside of Japan where like you're having like, like you said, like Kansas City style ramen or like Nashville, Tennessee style ramen. Because I talked to Sarah and it's interesting. She said she uses no fish products because people in Nashville, Tennessee don't like that taste. So she had to adjust some things. And I'm just kind of curious what you guys think is going to happen outside of Japan. I, th- I think so. I think it's going to become more localized and regionalized. And that's what I think it should, what should happen. I mean, at the end of the day, it's best to use what like products are local and fresh and like readily available, right? Rather than like shipping something from halfway across the world. So if you can do that, I think that's the best way to do it. And that's, that's the direction I think ramen will move. Now, at the same time, the base for like most of ramen knowledge as we know it is based on, you know, making it in Japan. So mm-hmm. that's like the hurdle that it's like a learning, there's like a learning curve, you know, that's just going to take time for people to like, they need to figure out how to make Japanese ramen first, and then they can figure out how to make like new ramen that's like, you know, special to their area. Yeah. But that's what I think is what's going to happen. What do you guys think? Brian? I'd like to see, I know this is happening in somewhere like France where, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about ingredients and importing them, but what's great is when people start making the ingredients using the Japanese techniques in the home country. So I know that in France, some uh, katsu makers from Kochi have set up shop there and they're, basically making the katsuobushi like as close as they can to the Japanese method. You do run into a lot of problems, something like katsu, it's open fermentation and and natural yeast from the air, which a lot of people don't like having fermented fish sitting around for uh, for a couple years. So it doesn't fly, but a lot of people, they are, they're starting to make the niboshi locally. I think in the northwest of the states people are dabbling with that sort of thing and once that gets a little more mainstream then it'll be much easier for ramen and also to get these japanese flavors into the other kinds of cuisine too what do you think sebastian about ramen yeah. in germany so i would say like we are uh, talking about like maybe all of europe uh we are probably like 10 years behind the states so I'm forecasting uh, five to 10 years more of like a uh, huge expansion of shitty ramen, uh, like cash grabs. <laughs> um, but then I think it will explode into the quality side quite quickly because 
in one once you somebody sets something up uh, makes like good niboshi makes like good other ingredients then you have a european union they can uh, trade between each other and then once one of them has figured it out and and um, tapped this market of of um you know that has expanded and in the last five to ten years i think you will see that the quality will increase um like you can see for example now in the states where um i think like uh like shimamoto noodles or sun noodles um have been becoming a thing and where you see like the the quality is is increasing and it's gonna get better but i can also see star crowd and bratwurst ramen uh, <laughs> I actually did a collab with a German YouTuber recently, and he made a German ramen, like an asparagus oh. ramen, because I guess asparagus is super big in, Ger- in Germany. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like this, uh, like April May thing. Mm. It's like for one month you have like fresh white asparagus, yeah, which yeah, is amazing. And then every single restaurant uh, in Germany will have asparagus on their menu. And then after a month you're sick of it, but you know there's only this one month where you need it, so it's not a huge problem. But yeah, I can see that working. Yeah, why not? But I think first you need to like saturate what people expect. And then once they're like done with it, it's like, yeah, yeah, I had that a couple of times. Then you can go and go like, all right, how about this fusion thingy? How about this unique thing that you can only get here because tonkotsu is now everywhere? How about asparagus ramen? Yeah, why not? I can Mm. see that. But I I think it will take like 10 more years at least. (laughs) Yeah. Is it... If I can add one more thing, there's another interesting component to all this. And that is that, you know, ramen shops in Japan are very simple. They just have ramen. They're like Mm -hmm. 10 seats, you know? So they're not like money-making enterprises for the most part. But when opening restaurants outside of Japan, it's all about just making money. That's like, Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, that's all people care about. So to incorporate ramen into a restaurant and then at the same time figure out how to make it a profit, profitable restaurant, that's like a huge challenge that I think is sometimes overlooked that like people are still trying to figure out because it's not really done in Japan. Like in Japan, you just serve ramen and it's enough, but overseas it's not enough to just have ramen. So yeah, we talked about that where it's like um, the people, the wait average time in a seat in Japan is like 10 to 15 minutes. Well, in America, it's 45 to an hour. You know, you have people just sitting there talking, having it's, drinks and stuff. So you have, almost have to supply and demand. Yeah. yeah, it's a, you know, ramen is fast food. It's everywhere. It's on every corner. It's, it's cheap. It's like readily available and it's all good. So it's just like you go in, you eat your bowl and you get out. It's not something to like, you know, talk over, you know, but overseas like it's an event like people it's like friday night we're gonna go wait an hour for that new ramen shop like okay that's like we want to order some sake and like get some edamame and like (laughs) we want to spend an hour here so i you know you can't like hate on people that feel that way because there isn't a ramen shop on every corner in most countries so (laughs) it's but it's just totally different and there's like there's like, you know, you can go, you can try to keep it as authentic as possible to a certain degree, but at some point you have to kind of like bend the rules and, you know, open to local customs and mm-hmm. what people and what people want, right? Yeah, that's kind of like the biggest challenge I see is like, how do you, be, that's just, it's so interesting. Like, you know, like, like Shimazaki-san, I saw a video of him that he says he, in the video, it said he makes 108 bowls of ramen a day and he eats one to test it every day. So he serves 107 bowls per day. 
and that's it. Like that's all he got, you know. Like a lot of shops. Like that. There's some shops like there's that shop uh, in what in uh, Scuba that does 80 bowls a day. <laughs> there's like there's a sh- there's a shop in Kyushu where if the guy and this is not rare like if the soup doesn't smell right he'll just throw he'll throw it away and just won't open and he'll just put a sign out like sorry we're not open today for business like Japanese people are like hardcore you know the quality quality is the number one most important thing to them like over giving money. out over money yeah money is secondary so you because of that you just find some like just wild crazy next level like when it comes to like the level of respect you give these people it's just like i can't even imagine like doing what you're doing but i, I respect it that's so fascinating <laughs> yeah it really is that shokunin culture of like the the craft is the reward over the money and the money is just a way that they can keep doing the craft almost it seems like mm-hmm. that's, that's fascinating i don't know how much time you guys got left i got a bunch of listener questions do you guys mind if i kind of go through some of them sure i'll bring them on okay yeah Let's all good see, um, so this is an interesting one because i saw this on on your instagram too abram so mr Ricebox asks how have ramen shops been handling the state of emergency in japan and he kind of was mentioning you got blocked out of a shop for being not japanese right yeah so how, how has this been what's okay. been going on there That's, oh this is good <laughs> so oh, it's like my fourth time hearing this story <laughs> yeah sorry sorry brian i'll uh I'll tell about, well, I'll talk about shops in general first, because a lot of, and this doesn't just go for ramen shops, but a lot of uh, restaurants and mom and pop businesses in general in Japan have been open regardless. And they can't, I don't know the law to the nth degree, but they can't force businesses to close. So, and a lot of people like, you know, they need to survive. So everything's shut down at night from 8 PM, but like during the day, ramen shops that are normally open at night are maybe open during the day, but most places, not all, some have been like, we're going to close for a few weeks. Most are open. I'd say other than the big chains or like the larger company owned establishments. Now onto the question about this shop. (laughs) I saw Brian had sent me something and I think I saw it posted somewhere else at this shop. They posted a sign that said no foreigners allowed because of the coronavirus. And it's not uncommon to hear stories of, you know, people turning away foreigners in Japan and whatnot. And I, and I, I get it. I think 90, 90% of the time it's due to communication problems. Mm -hmm. And if they can't communicate and if you can't understand like, you know, certain, certain things that you need to understand, it's just going to be a waste of t- everyone's time. And they would rather, it's easier for them to just turn you away. So sometimes I get that. Now in this situation, because I live in Japan, I hadn't been overseas in months. I can speak Japanese. I was actually just coincidentally in the area going to another ramen shop and was walking by with my friend. And we were like, oh my God, this is the shop that's like... <laughs> It's turning away foreigners. Let's see if we can get in. And uh-huh. I was with a friend who was Japanese. Uh-huh. So I went up to the front of the line and there was a line and there were signs there. And I explain in, in Japanese to the staff, I'm like, hey, I've been here before. I'm a repeat customer. I live in Japan for a long time. I haven't been overseas. Like, it's okay if I eat, right? And he's like, ah, oh, like, let me check with the chef. Oh, that's the goes, note. Yeah, <laughs> goes in comes back out and explains like we're turning away all foreigners right now. So we have to t- turn you away as well, unless you can show us, you know, an, a card that says you're a Japanese national. 
And so then my Japanese friend kind of stepped in and exchanged a few, I will say, unkind words with, with, the, uh, with the staff. And then we left. So I don't know, whatever. It's a sad situation. I'm honestly, I'm over it. I'll, I'll never go back to that place again. Like I, I had to post something just to like kind of give my peace of mind that I'm not cool <laughs> with this. But it is what it is. Like there's whack people out there everywhere in the world. So like end of story, I'm moving on with my life. That's so that's so crazy because like you said, you haven't left the country. You've been in Japan this whole time. You speak Japanese, so there's no communication error, uh, you know, chance yeah. of communication errors. The guy's just whack. Yeah, the guy's just like, oh, finally I can be racist. I've been waiting yeah. for an opportunity this whole time <laughs> or something, you know, like almost like that. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's nuts. All right, well. Well, it seems like you guys are coming out of lockdown really soon, so probably won't. Hopefully, you won't have to so. experience that. Probably kind of June. Announced today was the day that it's the state of emergency is over. So, oh, wow. uh, did they Dude, lift it already? Today? Uh, I don't really follow the news. That <laughs> <laughs> All right. But so I think life will return to normal in June, I guess. Probably faster than here in the U.S. I'm yeah. guessing because people in the U.S. are they're they're going back to normal, but things have not calm down yet like japan so it's gonna be interesting for us here hawaii is pretty good though hawaii is pretty isolated so we've been not, not bad so this is n8 oh gosh n8 n tito sorry if i'm mispronouncing this um what's the biggest difference between ramen oh, i guess we can't kind of answer this but what's the biggest difference between ramen in the west and ramen in japan <laughs> one is good one is shit for <laughs> okay. <the> most part <laughs> ramen in the west is made in the west ramen in japan is made in japan uh-huh. okay cool <laughs> this is from ramen lord um mike asks what do you could what does it take to consider yourself a ramen enthusiast what's the threshold for that anyone can say that right <laughs> self-proclaimed <laughs> but I will, ramen i will say i will say that i have met a decent amount of people that like they look at me and they're like i love ramen and i'll think like you've never had ramen you just don't even know it <laughs> but as long as you say you you love something and you're into it like yeah i'm cool with it yeah, yeah, more power like to you, but any ramen enthusiast should be trying to get out to japan to uh to have it out here like maybe you know i'm not gonna say you have to might not be in your means but they should have a focus on that yeah i'll yeah i'll i'll say the reason why i love ramen and how i got to where i am is because i had ramen in japan for the first time after thinking i was into ramen you know having eaten instant ramen my whole life and that was like that was like when my mind exploded so but that's a story for another day (laughs) that's like kind of like the blessing and the curse of the west right it's like we a lot of people are introduced to instant ramen first before real ramen. And in Japan, it's the opposite, right? Like you get real ramen, then oh, I kind of want to eat ramen. So they'll eat instant ramen. It's like the reverse of that. Well, I think for a lot of people, it's it's instant ramen is like what they think of when they hear the word ramen. Right, right. For a lot of people in the world. So it's just like you hear ramen, you just instantly think of like cheap, you know, from the Fast. supermarket, like four yeah. for a dollar. Yeah. So and like... And even when you've had it at like a restaurant that does like a half-ass version, it doesn't do it justice. When you've been, when you come to Japan and you had like something that's been, it took like two days to make that someone slaved for hours and hours and they're charging like this, you know, small price and 
there's like empty seats next to you where you're like, if this was in my hometown, there'd be like a hundred people in line. You're just like, holy fuck, like this is next level. So yeah, that's what happened to me at least. Yeah. <laughs> I have a little bit stupid take on it. Um, so if somebody knows what tare is, I think that's a really good uh, way to measure what they really know about it because that tells me they did some minimum amount of research. They know it's not all done in one pot. It's not only instant ramen and there is a certain way of assembling it. So that's usually a good question to ask. And it tells me like, okay, they, they got to figure it out. Like they know the difference between shoyu and shio ramen is not if you use chicken or pork, right? And I, I think that's a good way uh, of figuring it out. Interesting, interesting. Knowledge of uh, assembly is your threshold for that. Very cool. Balance. As long as the bowl has balance, I, I think that's the most important thing. So I think, I think they're they're really yeah. unbalanced bowls out there that are super great. I mean, for example, <laughs> take something like like nagi, right? That bowl isn't balanced at all. Uh, or you know. There's there's some really funky bowls that are fantastic. And junk junk style ramen yeah. from Saitama. Incredible, amazing style. Style. mayonnaise on top and shit. You know, that's great stuff. I mean, they're not balanced. Brian and I can disagree <laughs> on this junk style, but <laughs> that's a that's a great lead into this next question. Actually, so like I got a I got it from a few people. So they all asked it in different ways, but they're all asking the similar thing. So Tomono ramen. Harry Loudon, the Basti man, they all asked, what are some examples of weird or unusual ramen that you've seen in Japan that probably wouldn't fly outside of Japan in the US, for example? Hmm. Styles or like bowls we've had? Like bowls that you've had. I think that's what they mean. Well, these these really intense niboshi styles. Yeah. Some of them they get so thick that they call it cement style, cementoke. And or gray soup, like gray ramen. And it's just really viscous uh, niboshi ramen and it's insanely bitter and fishy. And yeah, I know the, the Nagi guys, they're known for it in Japan, but then overseas at all their shops, they're doing tonkotsu ramen. Mm -hmm. And when I talked with Ukuto-san about this, who's the founder of Nagi, he was like, oh yeah, like the niboshi people, they might try it once, but not a lot of repeat customers. So that's definitely one that is, uh, unique to Japan and you go to these crazy ones and uh, the flavors are, yeah, they're intense. <laughs> yeah, I have one to add. I recently went to a relatively new Jiro place. Uh, it's called Men Yard Fight. So um, they do something really special. They have probably the thickest noodles I've ever eaten. And like, they, um, without exaggerating, they're like as thick as your little finger and they don't boil them for a long time. So like in the inside, they're actually still raw. Like they have a raw <laughs> core in the middle. And like, it's one of those, you hate it or you love it experiences, but like you're munching on raw, like flour. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. But it's, I mean, I liked it. I, I, I would not have it like again, probably because it's just super heavy. And like, uh, but that's like one of those things It's just, um, you have like a, a certain niche um, that these uh, ramen shops fill that I don't think uh, is already exists in, in, in the West or in the US for that matter. So it is like the niche of 
super thick Jito ramen lovers, super thick noodle uh, ramen lovers. So that's one of those. As, as far as like, we're talking just like crazy, like nasty bowls. Or you can do nasty bowls or you just be <laughs> and it's like something that's unusual that no way it would ever work in America. Yeah, but you want crazy good or crazy bad. Or just like, like things that wouldn't have worked has, in America. I mean, Japan is a, like can be very gimmicky. And uh-huh. there are like we've had experiences eating like, you know, crazy, you know, piranha ramen or cricket. <laughs> I've had cricket ramen a few times. Uh-huh. Three of us can agree. So like, <laughs> yeah. Like we've had I've like we've eaten bowls like that, but that's not like regular. <laughs> those aren't regular menu items that you can mm. eat all the time. So those um, are all like gentes, right? Like the piranha ramen is definitely those, a gente. Piranha ramen, ramen was one time. Never again. <laughs> the cricket ramen was is in development. Oh, that's I've right. I've seen a video twice, of that guy. Yeah. And the guy is planning. He was supposed to open the shop last fall and then it got delayed to like this spring and i think it's still delayed but that's like in the works and there's like literally have there yeah brian <laughs> right here i think 10 like over 10 years ago you guys planned that huh and i'm a kind of a this is maybe politically incorrect but i believe brian ate a bowl with sea turtle eggs way back in the day oh that was like God. a one day only event <laughs> Yeah, I got uh, I lost a few uh, followers off of that one. (laughs) I didn't even know know, because at the time my Japanese was not good, and the kanji character for sea turtle, Uh it's you know it's literally sea and turtle. But but, I mean, I looked at that and I'm like, I don't know. Oh, okay, okay, like some kind of egg, and it came and. it was interesting. And then I asked after, what was this? And he showed me and like, okay. I did a quick Google search. It was not uh, illegal to consume it in Japan. So I figured, all right, it's fine. But yeah, I got it. I'm sure there's probably, <laughs> was that on your blog? You posted that to your blog, uh, the sea turtle ramen? Oh man. I'm sure there's probably like whale ramen and things like that too, right? That wouldn't fly in the Coffee. West. I've had, I, there's a shop actually, I think they're, they're still open and they serve coffee ramen where the noodles have like bits of coffee in them. There's a scoop of ice cream on top. There's like banana and salami <laughs> toppings. It's like the weirdest, they make a face with the toppings. Oh no. It looks so weird. Um, that shop is called Aroma, Aroma. And it's out near, it's in Katsu. Katsushikaku, I believe, like somewhere deep, of course. It was terrible. I ordered two <laughs> bowls. There was they had a hot version and a cold version. And I knew I was like, I'm never coming back here again. I'm gonna get both. And I, <laughs> I, I couldn't finish either. I had to apologize to the staff. <laughs> like it was this elderly couple. They were so nice. And I kind of explained, like, yo, I'm in a ramen, like I have to do this. But they were super cool about it. It was an awesome experience, but taste-wise, just horrendous. Yeah. How, are, how are they still open? Like, there's ramen shops that are closing well, every day. Well, I think so. The story with them is that's actually a kisa ten, so it's like a coffee okay, shop. Okay, okay. And I believe there's it was like this elderly couple. Their son is in the ramen business, and I can't remember if he either had a ramen shop or was making noodles. So from that influence, they're like, let's offer coffee ramen. Is just kind of like you know something that's on the menu. Cool. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I know, Brian. You so, talked about the that ice cream ramen that you had as well, and things like that. And yeah, I mean that one. 
from way back in the day they're closed now but it was just i mean that one was kind of like a joke mm -hmm. they made it to because some kids were some kid asked for it uh -huh. as a joke some uh, elementary school kid and they just put it on the menu and kids ordered it it made the news i went there it was not good but <laughs> this was uh when we were doing playboy brian went there and after I wanted to go and I went to the shop like a year later, I went twice, both times closed. And it's like, an, it's like a deep Kita Senju hour away, like 15 minutes from the station. So like that, like think about that. That happens all the time. Like where you go like an hour, hour and a half, two hours and you get to a shop and it's closed. And then you do it again <laughs> and it happens again. Like, <laughs> like the they don't, there's no phone don't answer the phone yeah and then eventually i heard that the shop just closed down so never got to try it sadly yeah. that was another one where the master was just some real old guy who had a little shop that he ran by himself so yeah i mean those they're obviously gonna go away at some point mm -hmm. they retire things like that yeah all right so this question is from ramen zach and this is a personal question for each of you what's your current favorite style of ramen All right, let me get, go first. Uh, I would say kitakata style. I guess for people that don't know what that is, what oh, can you okay. explain? Yeah, there's probably people um, that, there's a lot of, like, the, the audience for this podcast is like half ramen nerds and half right. people that don't know much about ramen that watch my YouTube videos that wanna, that just listen to it, so. Okay, so the, I think one of the things that kitakata has in common uh, as, as a general theme are like hand massage noodles. That makes them like a little bit curly and uh, they're like more a little bit on the uh, say like doughy side and um, they just have like this uh, slurping experience that reminds me a little bit of what we have in germany it's called spätzle a little bit of uh, something soft pasta style um yeah i don't know it's it's a little bit different slurping experience than with uh, let's say regular uh, round uh, ramen noodles and I'm totally in love with it currently. And I think that's also one of the, we talked about a chichi side, they do uh, kitakata uh, damen. Yeah, so if you want to try that one, uh, that's probably the one of the legendary shops for that one without going to kitakata. Yeah, Abram? Um, I don't know, like, I think one of the reasons why I like ramen is because there's so many different styles and I can eat a different style every day. So it's hard for me to choose like one style that I like more so than other styles. But I, I, because I eat ramen so much, it's like, you know, it's hard to eat the really heavy bowls again and again, day in and day out. So I kind of gravitate more towards the old school, simple Tokyo shoyu. But at the same time, I love Wakayama ramen. So Wakayama ramen, for those that don't know, is creamy, pure tonkotsu soup. But they use local Wakayama shoyu, which has like a strong punch. So it's like a tonkotsu shoyu ramen. And it has that old school kind of like the way that Hakata ramen has like this old school feeling to it. It has this old school, like super simple. It's not gourmet. And it's not really well known outside of Wakayama, which I think is why I like it so much. Um, another style I really like that I just discovered recently, Miyazaki style tonkotsu from Miyazaki Kyushu. And again, like had never, 
you know, like the famous Kyushu styles, like Kumamoto style or, you know, Hakata or whatnot. And I had never even really heard of Miyazaki style. Went there, was like, ate at like three or four shops that were all awesome to me. So it's like, you're finding, you're finding, like Brian said earlier, there's so many regional styles, over a hundred. Like even for people like us, like we're still discovering new things all the time. So, but yeah, for sure, like in Tokyo, the bowls I eat the most are just like the really simple, old school, clear shoyu soup with like nothing extravagant. That's like something I can eat all the time, day in and day out. Very cool. Brian? I think, uh, you know, I've been right, I've been working on my blog recently and I just finished writing all my Hokkaido trip from last year. So kind of in the front of my head is all these bowls I had in Hokkaido, but this time in Hokkaido, I barely had any miso ramen. I had all the non-miso shops that are very highly ranked and recommended by the Japanese ramen critics. So yeah, I mean, for me these days, I'm kind of looking more at regions and not even regional styles, but like what's going on in, in Hokkaido, what's going on. I spent a lot of time in Nagoya last year and it's, it's these whole other scenes. It's definitely not as crazy as Tokyo, but you know, it's 30% of the way to Tokyo levels, which is like, you could never do it even if you live there. So yeah, right now I'm kind of feeling uh, Nagoya and, and Hokkaido for, for actually for variety. Interesting. Interesting. Cool. All right. So D giggles asks, what do you guys think about the strict rules that some ramen shops have? Do you think it makes ramen less accessible or intimidating for foreigners? I think it makes uh, it, it more intimidating for sure. I think it just comes down to like, just depends. Like some shops want to have rules. They can have rules, you know? So yeah, I mean, there's kind of like a, not only with ramen again, like with Japan, there's like, and any, any place in the world, like if you're traveling, like not knowing the local customs and like, what are the do's and don'ts, there is some level of intimidation. And especially in ramen shops, there are some shops where like, if there's a line, you don't want to like mess up the flow. And, you know, that's the whole thing about Japan is like maintaining the, like the harmonious mm -hmm. flow of society. And if you mess that up, like you're becoming a problem for everyone. Like, and not messing that up is like, can sometimes be, you know, it can be tricky. So yeah, there are some shops that like, you have to know the rules and like, yeah, we all, everyone makes mistakes, but as long as you're like cool and you're nice and you're willing to like do what you're told, like, yeah, it'll all work out in the end. Right. Very few shops are like actually dicks about it, <laughs> you know? So instead of, you know, someone asks you at their shop, like, Hey, please, hurry up or don't take photos or, or do this, do that. I don't know. I mean, for me, I am no problem doing whatever people say, but I know a lot of people will get defensive. So if you want to get defensive and angry at a ramen shop, that's your deal. But uh, yeah. I thought this was America. You can get like that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are some of the, like, if you want to, sorry, if you want to get like a, a specific example, there's a, actually a really easily accessible one in Shibuya that's quite famous for, uh, you know, having these unwritten rules. And if you break one of them, they take away your bowl. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Like, what are some oh. of these unwritten rules that? <laughs> what what shop is this? Yeah. Hayashi. Oh, Hayashi. So, yeah. Really? So like, I I heard about it, and then I recently went there, and they're only open for lunch. Yeah. So I went there, like and like yeah, so you they have like a kind of tense atmosphere in there but i thought like yeah, yeah it should be fine i even like uh got like one or two pictures with my phone but then i was like diligent okay put my phone away and like slurp up and at a higher speed than maybe usual and then like as as if it was written uh, like a, a story script a guy comes in a guy uh, in a suit and starts yelling at the chef, saying something like, do you remember me? Do you remember me? I was here two weeks ago, and you took away my bowl of ramen because I was looking at my phone, and I want my money back, and I paid 1,100 yen, and you took my, my, my food away. And like, how dare you? <laughs> and the guy was like, like uh, it was not because of your phone. You were just eating too slow, and there was a line out. So get the fuck Love out of it. my. Wow. It was like this forth and back, and it was like super tense, and you're, you're trying to eat your bowl, like enjoying this. Like, it's oh, a man. Japanese guy or a foreign guy? It's a Japanese guy, Japanese dude, like who went wow. out of his way during his lunch break to just to go back <laughs> and crazy. tell him a piece of his mind. And I was I've been like, there a few times, well, never had that experience. Well, I was like, guess the, the yeah. rumors are true. And if you look at the Google uh, Maps reviews, you can see a shit ton of reviews uh, repeating like s some story of that sorts. Like also a lot of foreigners are like, I have never seen such customer service <laughs> in my whole life. How dare you? Like take away my food. I was just, you know, what, talking on my phone. It's like a lot of funny stuff. I mean, this place has one style of ramen and they have it yeah. with extra pork or not. Like, that's it. Simple. It's not difficult. Go in there, get your bowl of ramen, enjoy it, and leave. I don't, I don't get it. But, you know, yeah. I mean, in other places, you can take your phone out and, like, look at a message or something like that. Like, it's not a big deal unless you're sitting there maybe for half an hour. Uh, but there, it's like, if you're halfway into your bowl and you start looking at your phone he'll take your bowl away because you're done obviously because you're not concentrated on your food anymore i like it i like it, I like it. <laughs> it's just, it's hilarious i mean look, look up the the google maps reviews it's it's a fun read abram new policy at shono in san francisco <laughs> right. yeah you gotta start that start that trend in america yeah another this uh, our our uh, ramen dinner kind of things i hear you have your store that wouldn't fly in the u.s <laughs> Yeah, you, you, there's, oh man, also, you wouldn't believe the stories. <laughs> this is kind of a weird question. Not a weird one, but it's kind of like a question that I would have never thought to ask. But I think it's, it would be really helpful for a lot of people. So um, I can't read his name. Mark. Oh, I, look, I can't read his last name. I, I think it auto-corrected, but Mark something. What's your best tips for navigating a vending machine ramen in a ramen shop in Japan? Assuming, and I'm assuming he can't read Japanese or for people that can't read Japanese, like what should they do? Ask someone around you. Yeah. Like, you know, if, if you're shy, the upper left usually works, but honestly, like ask someone, someone will help you. And then, you know, you'll, it's, I think it's good. People definitely will help you out. Number one, ask the master if the master is there to help. And if it's a shop where it's too busy, you just ask a customer that's standing next to you. And as long as you can remember the words ramen and the words osasume, I think you'll be okay, you know? 
And like Brian said, usually the recommendate the recommendation is the top left button, but like if you just say Osasume, like you'll yeah, you'll get what's you know recommended every time. That's it. That's cool. People are you know, Japanese people are very like eager to help you as long as you make the the effort to like break the ice, you know, they're just shy. They're not gonna go out of their way, but yeah. And everyone yeah. got fluent in English in preparation for the Olympics, so that's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, when I was studying Japanese like um really heavily a few years ago, I would see on Hello Talk, it's like an app for learning Japanese or learning any language, like a bunch of Japanese people saying, like, I'm trying to learn for the Olympics. Like that was really common, people trying to learn English. For the Olympics. They got another year now. Yeah, they got another year to study for the Olympics. Maybe. They're all ready to help people in train stations and in vending machines at ramen shops and stuff. <laughs> all right. So this is uh, one of the last questions, I guess. It's like from Ram Ronam Nam. Uh, what is the worst ramen in Japan? And I guess what I wanted to do with this question is like, what's something that's like whack? That's like I don't you don't understand why that's popular. And I, I'm sure that like in any genre of hobby or anything there's always like one thing like why do people even like that you know is there anything that you guys can think of in japan worse i'd say like the worst bowls i've ever had were like they were actually making an effort uh -huh. is where they've tried to like the one that comes to mind is they try to do a like a chilled mexican ramen for the summertime <laughs> chilled bowls are quite common in the summer uh -huh. and they were using like avocados and tomatoes and it was just a disaster, like total disaster. But I think part of that is because maybe there isn't such a strong understanding of Mexican food here. <laughs> so like for me, who I love, and I've had some, like amazing Mexican food in yeah, Mexico, San Francisco has California, some yeah. Mexican food, yeah. It's like, you know, that's one thing I don't touch in Asia, period. Like I don't touch Mexican food in Japan. So Taco Bell, maybe, you don't get the Taco yeah, Bell? <laughs> they, uh, they might have one, right? But nah, yeah. I'm good. <laughs> But yeah, like that's so times where like maybe they'll try to do something a little bit like shying away from Japanese flavors and trying to get a little more, you know, exotic with it are like the ones where I've seen like the more disaster, <laughs> disaster bowls. <laughs> How about you guys? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've actually had some good Mexican style bowls out here. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> You know, who made what you know who made the best one was Ivan. <laughs> he, did, he did a taco maze soba, and it was super bomb. It was this junk food, but he kind of came from knowing that okay, there's different different chilies I can use, and there's different spices, and he he threw in like these legit Mexican spices that most people don't know about. I mean, it was a gente. So like that's one, you know, see, that's what Ivan. That's what makes him a good ramen chef is the fact that he has. He was like he started incorporating all these other elements that weren't normally in ramen, and Japanese people like caught on and they're like, "What? Like, what is this foreigner doing? Like, he knows ramen, but like, he has like a roasted tomato <laughs> yeah. and whatnot." So, I guess if you're saying Ivan made a good Mexican bowl, like, I guess I'll believe it, but <laughs> I don't have much confidence <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> In Mexican ramen. I had a previous guest that talked about a pizza maze soba and she said it was really good. Did you guys eat yes. that one? That's, yeah, that's at uh, Ajitoism in, in uh -huh. uh, Oimachi. To me, and they were kind of pushing it like <laughs> one, and, one and done. It was okay. It was okay. But 
the, I think, see the regular menu, like they have regular scheme in there. Mm-hmm. If you live in that area and you're going to that shop often, you're getting the regular menu as like, you know, you're not ordering that pizza mazemen again and again and again. At least that, that's how I felt about it. You know, this, this guy at Ajitoism, he has every day, he has a different gente, oh, wow. a different limited bowl every single day. Mm-hmm. And he showed me his file and it was like this thick of, of recipes. And he was like, yeah, you know, I usually choose one of these. And so like I flipped through it. I took like 10 mm-hmm. minutes and I pulled out a few. I was like, all right, next Wednesday, this one. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> oh, so he, re- he repeats. He does, yeah. Because he has... Interesting. I mean, he has uh, probably 50 or 60 in his yeah, list yeah. and makes new ones when he feels like it. Man, there's this, not to get off topic, but there's this shop I went to recently in Itabashiku called Soup Men. The guy makes a different soup every day. Every single day. He what? tweets. He tweets what the menu is going to be. So like... Yeah, like you don't you don't even know. Like what how do you even say what kind of shop that is? Like what do they serve? Like it's 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 new every day. Yeah. That's and they, he, he took the uh the logo from Supreme, the clothing brand, and it says Superman like in the Supreme font. Uh it's pretty funny. Yeah. But to, I went there one time. Say amazing. Slurpream. Slurpream. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I went there one day, it was amazing. Amazing. Really? So I recommend yeah. highly recommend that shop. Superman. Cool. I mean, have you guys had the pineapple ramen? Yes. You times. The times. what was a pup from what is the shop called? Pa 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 pine <laughs> or something yeah. like that. Pa 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 pine. Um, it used to be it used to be located in Nishiogikubo, and then it closed, and it reopened like a year or two ago in Machida. And I was Brian and I used to be on this TV show called. Uh, What was that called, Brian? X Nijuichi. Oscar X Nijuichi. Where we would be with like some girls, like some, uh, I guess they were junior high school girls. They were junior high school. And uh, I've I've told Brian this story before. The first time, first shoot, they show up and like, I don't know anything. And these girls sit down and they're all in like costumes. And I... I'm like, so like, are you college students? And she's like, oh, I'm junior high school student. I'll, and my jaw dropped. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> like, I'm supposed to be on TV with you girls? Like, you mean ramen? <laughs> But anyway, so we would be on TV with these girls and we would kind of do like an English lesson over eating ramen. And they would like, kind of like give their comments in English and Brian and I were like the so-called masters. But one of the episodes was at that shop, Papa Papa Pine. So, uh, yeah, that shop brings back uh, fond memories for me. <laughs> All right. So yeah. I guess we can wrap it up. It's like one o'clock in the in the morning for me in Hawaii. But um, what do you guys have any like just wacky stories about any kind of like shops in general that comes to mind? Any kind of thing like that, and then we can kind of close it up from there. Or if nothing comes to mind, then that's cool too. But. Yeah, you know, I was out traveling last year and I went up to the north of of Honshu, I think up in Akita or Aomori uh-huh. Prefecture. And there's I'll make, I'll make the explanation short, but during the 80s, some cult leader in Japan said that Jesus spoke to him and that Jesus was actually buried in Japan at the age of 106. <laughs> He built this shrine, middle of nowhere, this place called Shinjo Village. Uh-huh. 
sure enough, you go there and there's this shrine for Christ. For Jesus. This is where he's buried. Deal with it. So anyways, there's a ramen shop nearby that does the Jesus Christ ramen. (laughs) And I had just barely read about it. And it was just middle of nowhere. This little old lady who has like no business making like a joke ramen, but she's got like Jesus ramen. And I asked her about it. So it was, it was like a really nice, uh, uh, clear chuka soba style. Instead of chashu, it had this uh, yamaimo from her garden. So this kind of Japanese root vegetable. And she was telling me, she's like, oh yeah, Jesus, the Jews cannot eat pork, so he could not have chashu. So I use this instead. <laughs> Jesus loved yamaimo, you know. That's, that's and then she hilarious. put on top her own homemade umeboshi, mm-hmm. which is Japanese pickled plum. And she's like, you know, this is kind of represents like the rebirth and <laughs> and then she cuts the naruto the, the little fish cake into the star of david on it and it's at this place no customers nowhere huge menu as well of other stuff uh-huh. and just to go to somewhere like that i would never say go out of your way to go there because you know but if you're gonna go kid. visit the jesus shrine anyway you might as well get the jesus wrong yeah. That's I've seen videos of that, of that place on YouTube. It's kind of a popular YouTube video kind of place There's to shoot. Few, uh, yeah, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a good one day out of your way anywhere you're yeah. going. So take, take heed. I, I, I got one. I got one. So there's uh, in the south of or south of Tokyo, there's a couple of islands. And I think not all of them, but l- at least one of them has a volcano in the middle. And uh, that volcano erupted like... 30 years ago or something like that, I think at the end of the 80s. And um, there's uh, on this island, there's a shop um, run by this super old lady, 80, 90 years old or something like that. And if you look at it from the outside, it says Sanko Ramen. But if you look it up, you can't find that store. Because once you go in um, and you talk to her a little bit, you find out that the shop is actually called Do Sanko Ramen. But the Do of the name fell off during the eruption and it's just like this plate uh, which is now in the middle of her store <laughs> and she just kept it that way for 30 years um and she's serving uh something called like uh vol- volcano ramen like she makes like this little volcano out of negi in the middle of the bowl as a topping and i think puts in a uh, an egg in the middle and uh, and then her ramen is good but the shop looks like a health hazard um, <laughs> but definitely, if you're on, was it Oshima? Give that one. Oh up. yeah, yeah. Oshima. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This is pretty funny. Go there. <laughs> um, I guess can I share a ramen shop that I want to go to that I've never been to? Yeah, yeah. Since I already, I already shared the uh, coffee ramen and some yeah, other yeah. stories. The Probably one of the, the number one shops I want to go to right now is in Wakayama Prefecture. It's called Ramen Soko. Oh, yeah, like ramen right. Warehouse, Ramen that's, that's already on my list. Yeah. It's only open three months of the year, Saturdays and Sundays only, for just a few hours each day. They expanded. It used to be Sunday only. Until <laughs> Oh, I see. I didn't even know this. Until like and, one or two years ago. And... uh Inside the interior of the shop is all milk carts, 
like milk uh, milk crate like uh yeah, yeah milk, milk crates. crates yeah yeah like where you keep records in you know like milk crates so like the seats are milk crates the tables like the walls like everything it literally looks like a like a closet or a warehouse so that's the shop that's number one on my hit list right now <laughs> when the time is right and it's only open in the winter and i think it's january to march in so, like deep Wakayama, yeah, Saturday, Sunday only. <laughs> a lot of photos, it's just completely snowed in, but there's a line of like 50, 60 people trying to get into this. <laughs> is it supposed to be like really good ramen or is it just that it's- a I heard it's thing? average. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> I know has been there, very few. <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. Yeah. All right, guys, thanks so much for the time today. I just Can you tell everybody where you can find you, for, uh, where they can find you guys and what you guys are doing? Close with that. Let's go first. Yeah. Anybody can go uh, yeah. first. Yeah, yeah. Um, Abram Ramen Beast on Instagram. I have an app too called Ramen Beast that we didn't talk about, but that's for another day as well. Um, good talking. Peace. <laughs> uh, yeah, Ramen Adventures on everything, everything social, and hit it up. The blog, uh, the Instagram, the YouTube. I'm out there. Yeah, and me, Nama Japan, on Instagram, Nama Japan TV, because I guess Nama Japan was already taken. And uh, yeah, that's about it. And thank you very much for the invite. I think this was a, a cool, cool discussion round. Cool was in table, round table. Yeah, yeah, no, I, man, I had a lot of fun. I think this is an awesome episode. So thank you guys so much. And probably get you back on Abram with Men Show or Show No Sun eventually, maybe. <laughs> He yeah, just followed sure. me on Instagram, so I think I, I got a chance maybe now. <laughs> that guy, he works too much to get on one of these podcasts. That guy <laughs> oh, is an animal, an animal. Yeah. But, All right. Uh, yeah. No, we'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do. I got, I got yeah. Ivan on somehow, so. Sounds good. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, right, take man. care. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much to Abram, Brian, and Sebastian for coming on the show. You know, I honestly think we probably could have gone a little longer. It was such a fun conversation, but it was 1 o'clock in the morning for me, so it was getting kind of late. Please give these guys a follow and follow whatever they're working on because they're all doing really cool things. Like Abram said, he's working with Shonosan and Mensho and opening up locations all over the world. He also has an app that we never even got to talk about, a Ramen Beast app. And you can follow him at Ramen Beast on Instagram and for all the details on that. Brian is Ramen Adventures, as everybody should know. He has a great YouTube channel. He's been writing a blog about ramen for 10 years or so now. He has some books and stuff. I'm going to link it all up in the show notes below. And Sebastian with Nama Japan TV has been pumping out a lot of great ramen content on YouTube. So please check out his YouTube channel as well. I'll link that up in the show notes as well. As always, you can follow me at Way of Ramen on Instagram. You can tell me what you think about the show there. Or you can tell me what you think about the show on our Discord server. We have a podcast discussion section. And it's always great to talk about this kind of stuff there and what people think about the show and the guests and things. So it's been pretty fun talking there. I'll have a link for that in the show notes. If you want to support the podcast, you can go to anchor.fm slash wayoframen. And there's a support button there where you can throw me a couple bucks for the podcast. And if you want to watch me try to figure out how to make ramen on my own in Hawaii without having had a bunch of really great ramen in Japan, you can go to YouTube and search for The Way of Ramen and my channel should pop up. Thank you guys all so much for the support. Thank you for listening. I hope you're all staying safe and well, and I'll see you all in the next episode. Peace.